Father, I thank you for your incredible, powerful, effective word. I pray the anointing of the Spirit of God would rest upon the message, upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, I pray you'll prepare the heart of the people to receive today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will woo to God those that are away from him today. Father, we ask all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our theme today is devoted. Devoted. To be devoted means to be totally committed to a specific person or cause. I want us to talk a little bit today about devotion, but I want to talk about devotion in two different directions. First of all, I want us to talk about God's devotion to us. God's devotion to us. Were you aware of the fact that God is devoted to us? Were you aware of that? John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever would believe upon him would not have to perish but could have everlasting life. Let me ask you this question this morning. How do you see God? How do you see God? Do do you see him as some kind of of intolerant tyrant in the sky that that, that just can't wait for you to step out of line so so he can pound pound you on the head with his holy billy club? Is that the way you see God? How do you see God? Do you see him as a kind, gentle, Loving Heavenly Father that, that, that has a desperate desire to have a relationship with you. See, see, the truth of the matter is God is fully devoted to you. God loves you. God loves you. In fact, not only does God love you, God is crazy about you. Now, I don't know if God has a refrigerator or not, but I just, I just happen to believe that if God has a refrigerator, I believe he's got your picture on it. I believe you could scroll through God's Facebook page and I, I think you'd find pictures of you there as well. God loves you. He's crazy about you. He's fully devoted to you. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, I know this because he has proven this and he's proven it in two ways. First of all, he proved it through his grace. Say his grace. Oh, I love that word. I am, I am falling more and more and more in love with the grace of God. Amen. Now, grace is unmerited and undeserved favor. Grace is, is when somebody gives you something or someone does something for you that you did not earn and you did not deserve. That's grace. God proved his devotion to us by sending his only son, Jesus, to the cross to do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. He proved his devotion to us by by sending Jesus to the cross to purchase salvation so that he could offer salvation to us as a free gift. Free gift. A gift given, not earned. A gift given because he is good, not because we are good. I want to suggest three things about God's grace this morning. First of all, I want to suggest that it's provided. 
It's provided. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. The Bible says God saved you by His grace when you believed. And it goes on to say, and, and you cannot take credit for this because it is a gift from God. It goes on to say salvation is not is not a reward for, for the good things that you have done so that none of you can boast. Wow. Grace is Provided. It, it's available. It's available. It is a gift. And it's available for the taking. But not only is it provided, but let me suggest that it's personal. Personal. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation is available to all people. To who? I wonder what the word all means. What could the word all mean? I wonder what, or wonder who the word all includes. Uh, Pastor, I've been too wicked. All. Pastor, I've done too many bad things. All. Pastor, I've this. Pastor, I've that. Pastor, I've something else. All, 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 all. God's grace is Personal, he, he doesn't have more grace for one than he has for another. God loves you, but he also loves me. But not only is his grace provided, not only is his grace personal, but it's perpetual. Yes, it is. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. How are we to approach God's throne or do we come to God's throne with fear and trepidation is that how we are to come to the throne of God no 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 the Bible says let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God boldly securely with assurance come with confidence let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God don't you love that term gracious God say our gracious God I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up with a gracious God. I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing about a God that was mad at me all the time. I grew up hearing about a God that was mean. I grew up hearing about a God that that just sat up there on his throne and just looked me all over and looked for any flaw in my life and just waited till I stepped out of line so he could whack me over the head with his holy billy club. That's the God I, I never heard about the gracious God. But oh, I'm so glad that there is a grace awakening today. I'm glad that we are finally discovering the grace of Almighty God. Our God. God is a gracious God. Gracious God. Let me read that again this morning. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive. We might receive. If we're good enough to receive. If we do enough good things, we will receive. No, no, no. No, there we will receive. Say, we will receive. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I'm telling you this morning, God's grace is perpetual. It never runs out. His grace is like the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps going and going and going and going. We're talking about God's devotion to us right now. It's proven two ways. First of all, it's proven through his grace. Not only is it proven through his grace, it's also proven through his mercy. His mercy. Now, grace means that God gives us what we don't deserve. 
Mercy means that God doesn't give us what we do deserve. You see, because of Jesus and his cross, God provides his salvation. Because of Jesus and his cross, God withholds from us his wrath. He he withholds from us his punishment for our sin. See, See, we deserve to die, but he offers us life. We deserve his wrath, but instead he offers us his love. We deserve hell, but he offers us heaven. Oh, thank God for his unlimited and matchless mercy. Without it, we are doomed. With it, we are destined. God's devotion to us is proven through his mercy. I want to suggest three things about God's mercy. First of all, I want to suggest that, that it's excessive. Excessive. See, see, God doesn't ration out his mercy. Uh, God isn't miserly with his mercy. Uh, God hasn't placed mercy on a budget. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, the Bible says the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercy begins every morning afresh. Did you hear what the word of the Lord says? Obviously you did not. For you to just sit there on your thumbs this morning, obviously you did not hear what the word of the Lord said. The word of the Lord says that God's mercies never run out. The word of the Lord says that there is a fresh supply of God's mercy that appears every single morning. I don't know about you, but I need God's mercy, and I need it to be fresh. I'm a rascal. I need it every day. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, God is so rich in mercy. Oh, where did, why did we not read these scriptures all of our life? God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Yesterday we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But we need to understand today, we are not here this morning simply to, to, to uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But I want to tell you, we are here to celebrate our resurrection. Yes. Yes, Jesus arose the third day, victor over death, hell, and the grave. But when Jesus rose, we rose with him. We were dead in trespasses and in sin. But through Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, we come alive in him. We are resurrected this morning as well. Give the Lord a shout of praise in his house today. Yeah, we were as good as dead without him, but with him and through him and because of him, we are alive. Our spirits have been awakened. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 through 10 says, Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Did you know Jesus didn't hang on the cross all by himself? Do you know that you were on that cross? Did you know that I was on that cross? Amen. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we what? Since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Christ. Him. I'm telling you this morning, God's mercies are excessive. They're over the top. They go above and they go beyond. Not only is his mercy excessive, but we need to understand that his mercy, it's expensive. 
me know cost determines value. The price of something determines how valuable that it is. God placed an extremely high value on the eternal soul of man. God was willing to pay the highest price possible to purchase the lost souls of mankind. This exorbitant price would include his mercy. Now remember, mercy means God withholding his wrath. Mercy means God withholding his holy anger and justified punishment for sin. Hear me this morning, hear me now. When we experience God's mercy, it means he doesn't punish us for our sin. You better do better because they ain't getting it. They're sitting there like a bump on a pickle. They ain't getting it. I know there's a whole lot more ointment up here than there is back down there. I understand that. But listen, when we experience God's mercy, it means he doesn't punish us. But sin must be punished. A holy God cannot withhold his wrath. And he didn't. He did It's not, it's not that God doesn't judge and punish sin. The fact is God has already judged. God has already passed sentence on. And God has already punished sin. You see, the fact that God withholds his wrath from us does not mean that God has withheld his wrath. God's wrath has already been poured out. Sin has already been punished. That's what the cross is all about. God placed his very own son on the cross. And then God gathered up every single sin that had ever been committed and ever would be committed by man. And I don't know how God did it, but somehow supernaturally, God placed every one of the sins of man, he placed them in the cup of Gethsemane. I want to tell you that That Jesus dreaded the cup more than he dreaded the cross. The Bible said that Jesus became in such agony and and anguish of soul about the cup. That his sweat literally became great drops of blood falling to the ground. Fast forward to the cross Nowhere on the cross, nowhere does it say in the Bible that on the cross Jesus sweat blood, but it was in the garden when he contemplated the cup. The worst part of redemption for Christ was the cup. The cup. The cup. The cup. Of Gethsemane, Jesus contemplating what the price of salvation was going to cost, took his 12 disciples. He, he left nine at one place. He took his three closest ones with him a little farther. And the Bible said then for three hours, Jesus went a little farther from them. And the Bible said that Jesus prayed and he sought God and he cried and he wept and he prayed for three hours and for three hours. And the Bible said that sweat, his sweat became drops of blood. God placed these 
the sin of man in the cup of Gethsemane. This is why, this is why when Jesus, who knew no sin, the Bible said, who knew no sin, Jesus was absolutely perfect. And this is why Jesus, who knew no sin, looked down into the cup of Gethsemane. And in the cup of Gethsemane, he saw. When he looked in the cup of Gethsemane, he could see. He could see in the cup. He could see every vile and vulgar and voracious sin of man. He could see it. The sins of every pimp, prostitute, and perverted person. He could see it when he looked into the cup of Gethsemane. The sins of every deceitful, defiled, and demon-possessed individual. When Jesus looked into the cup of Gethsemane, he could see, name any sin, say, name every sin. And when Jesus looked into the cup, he could see those sins. And as he looked into the cup, and he saw the disgusting Sins, the wickedness, the vileness, the ugliness of man. And he sees him in the cup, knowing he's going to have to take the cup. And he cries, oh, my father, my father, is there be any other way than this? Remove the cup. I can do the cross. I don't know if I can do the cup. I can take the nails. I can take the spear. I can take the crown of thorns. I can take the pain. I don't know. I don't know if I can, if I can take the cup. Your sin was in this cup. My sin was in this cup. It was disgusting. I can do the cross. I'm not sure I can do the cup. Mercy was extremely expensive. Somebody had to pay the price of sin. Somebody had to die because of sin. Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin or the penalty or the payment for sin is death. Isaiah tells us how it happened. He said in Isaiah 53 and 6, he says, the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, he forgot to offer us mercy. He had to withhold mercy from his one and only son. For us to be released from the penalty of sin, Jesus had to pay the penalty for us. Salvation is free to us, but it was anything but free. Mercy is free to us, but for God the Father, for God the Son, it was very, very expensive. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we may be made right with God through Christ. God's mercy was expensive to purchase. It cost the life. It cost the death. It cost the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The crucifixion itself 
of Jesus was beyond description. All the pain, all the agony, all the suffering. We don't even have a clue at what the expense of the cross was. See, the cross was not just a way of execution. It was a way of torture. Not just anybody could execute. It was the professionals. They were taught. They were trained. They knew exactly where to put the hands. They knew exactly where to place the feet. They knew exactly. The cross was not just a, not just a means of execution, but it was a means of torture. There was no other torture known to man or known to man now more excruciating than the cross. And Jesus paid the price. We're talking about God's mercy right now. Not only is it excessive and expensive, but let me suggest to you that it's exclusive. Yeah, God's mercy is available to all, but it is only attained by those who ask for it. Psalm 86 and 5, O oh Lord, you are so good. So ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love. But notice the next part. For all who ask for your help. Only those who ask for mercy will receive mercy. Our theme today is devoted. God is devoted to us. His devotion to us is proven through His mercy. It's proven through His grace. Now I want to talk a little bit about our devotion to Him. Our devotion to Him. If God is devoted to us, don't you think that we should be devoted to Him? I want to very quickly suggest three things that our devotion to God should include. First of all, our devotion to God should include commitment. Don't hear a lot about that word anymore. Commitment. Matthew 22 and 37, Jesus said, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. To be fully devoted to Jesus means being fully committed to Him. You see, too many people only seek the hands of Jesus. They only serve Him for what they can get out of Him. In fact, the matter is, Jesus told the crowd one day, he said, he said, you don't really care about me at all. He said, you're only here for the loaves and the fishes. He said, the only reason why you came to church today, he said, he, he said you came only for one reason, and that was for a free meal. Jesus wants us not just to seek his hands, but he wants us to seek his face. He wants to have a relationship with us. He, he, he wants somebody, uh, oh, that will stick with him in the, in the good times and in the bad. Oh, people that are committed to him. Oh, not people who are wishy-washy, not people who are up and down. Oh, not people who are in one Sunday and out for three. Our devotion to God includes commitment, but it also includes community. Community. Now, remember, community is the new word for fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25, the writer of Hebrews, he says, hey, he said, hey, he said, let us not neglect our meeting together. He said, let's not be unfaithful with church attendance. He said, let's not neglect our meeting together as some people are doing. He said, but instead let us encourage one another and especially now, he said, that the day of the return of our Lord is near. 
The book of Acts chapter 2 verse number 42, it talks about the early church, the establishment of the first church. And it says there that all the believers devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? Well, it goes on to tell us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Say fellowship. Fellowship. And to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and to Prayer. And then in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, it says, again, talking about the early church, on the first day of the week or on Sunday, on Sunday, the writer says, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. So our devotion to God includes community. It includes church attendance. It, it includes gathering together every Sunday for with, with other saints of like precious faith. And we gather together to worship. And we gather together to pray. And we gather together to share personal testimonies. And we gather together to encourage one another. And we en- come together to enjoy community, enjoy Christian fellowship. We come to enjoy the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. We come to enjoy and, and, and go together in the, in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Let me ask you this question this morning. Talking about your grown children, talking about the children that you raised, talking about those that started out, you know, that you, you, you know, you, uh, uh, you changed their dirty diapers and you fed them and you bought them clothes and you sent them to school and you paid for their sporting events and for their piano lessons and, and you did all of that and you sent them to college and all of that and you nursed them through lots of different things and you picked them up and you, you know, when they had a boo-boo, you, you know, you scraped it off and you, you know, you kissed it and you, and you, and you, and you mended it and all those, all of those things that you did for your kids and now they're up and grown and now now they're they're out on on your own let me ask you this question let me ask you this question would you feel loved by your kids if they never came home your grown kids that you did so much for would you would you be okay would you feel loved by your kids if they never came home if they used every single excuse in the book to stay away from your house would you feel loved by them? Would it be okay? What if they said, what if they said, oh, mom and dad, they, they know I love them. I don't need to go to their house. I don't need to talk to them. I don't need to spend any time with them. They know I love them. Would that be okay? I wonder how God feels when he gave the very best that he had in his one and his only son. I wonder the God that picks us up when we fall down, the God that enables us, the God that provides and protects and prospers us. I wonder, I wonder if God feels okay when we say, well, God knows I love him. I don't have to go to his house. He knows I love him. Testing one, two, three. I don't need to go to the house. Man, Miss Church, pastor went to see him. Said, you didn't come to church Sunday. I hear you was out on the golf course. Man said, pastor, obviously you don't know me very well. I would never miss church for playing golf, never you don't believe me, Pastor, i got five of the nicest bass I've ever caught to prove it. <laughs> I wonder if we didn't take God's house seriously, if that'd be all right with God. Or how would you think? Feel? I'm not preaching legalism. I'm just saying if you love God, I think you're going to love his house. I think you're going to love his people. Amen. I'm not telling you you're going to hell if you miss one service. I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying, if we love God, I think we ought to love his house. We ought to love his people. We ought to love fellowship. We ought to love community. Amen? We're talking about our devotion to God right now. It includes commitment. It includes community. And number three, it includes his commandments. John chapter 14 and verse number 15, Jesus said, if you love me, if we love you, what, Jesus? What will we do if we love you? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And in verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, all who love me, all who love me, what? All who love me will do what I say, and anyone who does not love me will not do what I say. So often people verbalize how much they love God, but their actions prove anything but because they live their life opposite of the teaching and the training of the Word of God. Did you hear what Jesus said? He he said it's really easy to detect who genuinely loves Him and who is just playing pretend. Jesus said the people that genuinely love Him will prove it by their actions. They prove it by living their lives in obedience to His command. The takeaway for the message this morning is this, we should be fully devoted to the one who is fully devoted to us.